Welcome to Essential Conversations. I'm your host, Rebecca Mears, with, with my co-host. <laughs> we're, we're, we're doing things a little differently today. Look, Alex, we're, we're in the studio today having a good time. We are. And our guest today is Melanie Phillips, and we are excited to welcome her. And I, I'm going to pass it over to Luca to give the yes. introduction. Well, this is more of my networking <laughs> serendipity stuff, because I think I met you... Maybe not the first time. Welcome, by the way. Thanks. Thank <laughs> I, I, I don't think it was the first time, but it was the first time that I was really paying attention to who you were. Was was at the book signing, um, the launch for your first book, hmm. and um, and met somebody else there that night, whom we've also had on the show a couple of times. So this this little tiny world is operating once again. And I was just saying, I do, uh, I occasionally slip and call you Maduri because you were Maduri when I met you. So we now have Melanie slash Maduri Phillips, and it depends on which way you're leaning that day as to <laughs> what we call you, right? It's all good. And maybe different people from different spheres of your life would know you in different ways. Cause that's So Maduri is your, it's your, uh, your Indian um, persona n- name. It's your Ayurvedic it yoga... Would- it was a name given to me by a teacher of mine in India many years ago, and I wasn't planning to use it in quote-unquote real life and came back and did, and then a couple of years ago shifted back to professionally using Melanie, but I feel like I'm all of it, and it's interchangeable, so it's call me whatever you like. It's different facets of you, right? It is, yeah. Now, I was looking at pictures, because I've been following along with what you've been doing on Facebook, and, and you were posting some pictures of your early days when you went off to India. How, how old were you when, when you went off to India the first time? I can't remember how old I was, but I early 20s, it was... Yeah. Um, the year 2000 would have been the first time I went to India. So that was a while ago. Yes. And you, uh, like, what made you go off to India in the first place? It's Well, I had, I remember my dad cut out a clipping from the Globe and Mail, and it was this article on an ashram in India, and there was something deep inside of me that was really intrigued by that. And so I had that little newspaper clipping, set that aside. I ended up living and traveling in New Zealand, and I was supposed to go and work on an avocado farm. And the day before <laughs> as, as I was do. the day before oh I was God. leaving Queenstown, where I was living, to go work on this avocado farm. I love avocados. Um, I got an email saying uh, we can't have you. Something's happened, and I couldn't go. So I hitched, hiked up the west coast of New Zealand. Sorry, mom and dad. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I ended up serendipitously meeting meeting this man who his name was Amrita he was a wizard he wore purple flowing pants and had a long gray beard and his hair up in a bun and 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 was such a a centered and magical being so I met him and I worked uh, on his farm for a little bit and then I met this this woman who said oh we've got a yoga retreat center why don't you come work there and do some work exchange so great 
showed up there. I met this Swami. He said, why don't you come with my wife and I to India in the fall? Uh, She's taking a program at the Bihar School of Yoga. You should too. And I knew in that moment I had to go. I was like, yes, sign me up. I'm there. Yes moments. We have them in life, right? You can't predict them. You just kind of fall on them, yeah, and you just know. Oh yeah, and it and it took my my life took a big right turn at that point in many ways. Like it really was such an influential trip, and yeah, I showed up at this ashram. I had hair down to the middle of my back. I shaved my head. I got took initiation, and I got this spiritual name of Madhuri, which means inner beauty or inner sweetness. Uh, and it was a very potent time for me very influential experience how did it feel when you when you got off the plane in india i mean it's such a culturally different place from from what you would have known yeah luca i remember flying into delhi i didn't know where i was going to go when i got off the plane i had there was a little bit of contact uh with my friend who had friends in delhi but nothing was concrete so i literally was landing In Delhi, I remember looking out the airplane window and looking down and on the side of the tarmac um, were these women dressed in beautiful colored saris. Uh, And they were working. They were working the the fields. They were carrying um, bricks on their head and they were doing work on this airstrip, essentially. And I remember seeing that image and in my whole being, I was like, I'm home. Isn't that interesting? I felt I'm home. I never once had culture shock. Never once did anything seem out of place. Mm. And every time I go back to India, I feel like a ghost walking through that country. Mm. I don't know how to explain Mm. that other than I feel like I'm sort of floating through it. Mm. um, And it's just happening through me is my experience. Wow. Did it alter you being there, being on the ashram and... and because how long did you spend there that first time? The first time was, uh, well, I was in the ashram, I think, for about five and a half months. And then my boyfriend at the time came and met me at the end of my studies there. And we went trekking through the Himalayas for three months. So and that's so we, a big chunk of time. Yeah, I think all in all that trip was about maybe like eight or nine months, maybe. Wow. So when you got on that plane and flew out again, what had changed for you? Um, everything. <laughs> 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 well, I think my perception had changed. I I was here where we are today studying at SFU, Simon Fraser University in the contemporary dance program and in my final year I got injured and I That's graduated I graduated on crutches hobbling across wow. the stage and it was it was sort of destroying to me on many levels. I didn't know who I was if I wasn't a dancer. All my friends were dancers. My whole life at that time was around dance and I couldn't dance. It was devastating, and to be so young and have that devastation mm-hmm. and feel like the thing I loved the most was taken. Uh, and the other thing I loved to do was travel, so that's what took me off to New Zealand. And then in New Zealand is where I met the Swami that I ended up in India, and then from there, yeah, ever, my life really shifted. It's the dominoes that kind of fall into one another. One knocks the next one. Yeah. Um, so when you got back here to Canada... Um, with all these changes that had happened for you, were you still not able to dance at that point? Or had your life altered enough at that point that that wasn't your path anymore? A bit of both, I think. So I still, for the a few years following that, uh, was dancing and producing some dance 
uh, work with with friends here in Vancouver in the city. So I was dabbling in in the contemporary dance world and in choreography and working as a waitress and as a yoga teacher. So it was one of those times where I couldn't wholly focus on just dance. Mm. Um, Financially, it wasn't viable. And I never had planned to become a yoga teacher and didn't really want to, but it was just a (laughs) way to make money and I knew how to do it and I was good at it and my my heart was connected to it and my ashram studies really supported that. But I, I wasn't thinking, oh, I'm going to go and be a yoga teacher. That This wasn't fulfilling your sense of what you're here to do or to create. It yeah. really wasn't, which is interesting because I've been a full-time yoga teacher for over 20 years now. Yeah. Or yeah. almost 20 years now. Isn't that interesting how well, that are, happens? There are aspects of who we be in the world that people want to access, but we know we're more than that and there's something else that we need to do. I think that can happen to a lot of us where it sort of becomes one of the, one of the pots we have our fingers in, one of the things that... Um, is like a valid way of engaging in the currency of this world, a valid skill to contribute, a skill that people want to access that enables us to keep the money flowing while we go about the work of what is we know is our heart work. So I noticed that you identified yourself as a clinical Ayurvedic specialist. I'd love to hear how you moved into that. Right. So yeah, I'm a clinical Ayurvedic specialist and have been in practice for, for years now that came about through one of my journeys to India and I got really really sick and I was living in the ashram and unfortunately the ashram this ashram in particular wasn't a place that could support people being sick it was a ashram focused and dedicated to karma yoga so selfless service a lot of hard work um, also a lot of menial tasks and so I got very sick I'm not sure quite with what it may have been pneumonia but I had a I also had digestive things vomiting hallucinations like I there was a lot going on Mm -hmm. on a lot of different levels and so there was this pressure whether it was internal or external maybe a bit of both to get back to work in the ashram so I forced myself back to work to be the good little karma yogi Uh, and then when I finally left the ashram I had planned to travel through Asia for another seven or eight months alone and I did that because I was said I was going to so I thought I'd save my money I'm going to keep going but I wasn't right and I kept getting food poisoning in different countries I, I remember food poisoning in Thailand and Vietnam <laughs> it was almost, wow. almost every country I went to I'd get food poisoning mm. um, and when I got back to Canada I realized when I was sort of back in my own space that I wasn't okay and I'd gone from literally training to be a professional dancer and dancing four six sometimes even eight hours a day to when I got back I couldn't walk up a flight of stairs without feeling winded Mm -hmm. so I was like there is something really wrong here uh, in my body and my medical doctor didn't know so he sent me to the foreign disease specialist at Toronto General Hospital and I waited months for that appointment and I got in and they took it every bit of blood and urine and feces and every stool test and and sample that they needed. So I I was very hopeful that I would get some response. And I got into that appointment with the specialist and he kind of floated into the room, picked up the paper quickly, looked at it, looked at me, said, there's nothing wrong with you. And and just as quickly sort of left. (sighs) And I was... Wow. So that system wasn't able to recognize um, recognize and or validate. work with where you were no they couldn't they're pretty much like there's nothing wrong and I thought well I'm not they didn't dying have the right like tools. I'm not a, they didn't mm. have the right tools mm. and so I'd known of Ayurveda through my yogic studies and I thought I'm going to figure this out for myself then because if if I've reached the top if I've reached the specialist and mm. there's nothing 
you can offer me, then I got to figure it out because I'm not going to live my life this way. Mm-hmm. So I began uh, studying Ayurveda and eventually became a practitioner and now help other people uh, often when, you know, they don't know where else to turn or they've been through the, the whole medical system and it hasn't served them fully. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's how Ayurveda came into my life. Where did you train in Ayurveda? Uh, I've trained in a few places. I got my first training at the California College of Ayurveda, and then I've done study with Dr. Vasant Ladd at the Ayurvedic Institute. His space is in New Mexico, and then also uh, his Guru Kula program in India with him as well. Oh, nice. Okay. So, so for people who don't know what Ayurveda mm-hmm. is, um, w- what's the kind of sum- thumbnail sketch of what it is, and, and w- what can you tell us about what it did for you that the medical profession at that time was not able to do. Right. So the medical profession said, okay, well, we'll call it post-viral fatigue syndrome. Essentially, you've got an autoimmune condition like chronic fatigue, yeah. and there's nothing we can do. Uh, so It I, comes coupled with, and there's nothing we can do. And there's do. nothing we can do. <laughs> yeah. And this was years ago. Uh, and I think now there's a lot more information and, mm-hmm. and knowledge and yeah. that we are exposed to, but I wasn't. But I did know enough to study Ayurveda, and mm-hmm. Ayurveda is essentially a holistic medical science. I see it as a, a science and an art form. Mm-hmm. It's uh, thousands of years old, and it was notated. It was founded in India, but my understanding and, and experience of it is that every indigenous culture on the planet would have been working with the principles and the philosophy yeah. of Ayurveda. It's essentially like looking at the seasons, looking at the rhythms of the moon, the rhythms of the internal, our internal nature and the external nature. Uh, you know, it, it wasn't that long ago that we would have been eating the foods that were in season, that were local, all of these things. Because that's all we could do. We exactly. couldn't get it from anywhere else. Exactly. And now we yeah. pay premium price, right, to do mm. those things, to have organic, local, <laughs> farmed food. And, and not that long ago, that would have been natural to, to to do that. So Ayurveda is based on the five elements, elements of earth, water, fire, air, and ether. And the understanding that we are a microcosm of the macrocosm, and essentially every cell in our body is comprised of those five elements. Every individual person has a specific mind-body to- type, or we call it a dosha, that is composed or comprised of a certain ratio of those five elements and it's unique to the individual so for me i was i had this autoimmune condition for nearly a decade so i was sick that's for a big chunk of your life a big chunk of my life a quarter of my life so far yeah uh, and i learned a lot about ayurveda and i also had to do the deeper inner work to look at the psycho-emotional energetic spiritual aspects of what uh, perpetuated the mold of the disease the conditions that were favorable for it yes. to flourish the way it was precisely in, in ayurveda um, i teach my students that you know what we're doing is we're creating an environment for healing to happen mm-hmm. nature heal us heals us our naturopath mm-hmm. doesn't heal us our mm-hmm. doctor our ayurvedic practitioner our chinese mm-hmm. medicine they do not heal us mm-hmm. what happens is we need to provide a conducive environment for healing to occur, and nature heals us. That's what nature does. So we it's need like to going be back in into alignment. our natural balance, exactly. and our natural, our natural alignment. state. And our yeah. natural state is health. Our natural state is joy. Our natural state is uh, much more expansive than most of us are living. Mm. So near the end of that 10 years of this 
post-viral fatigue syndrome, I began to study energy medicine and energy healing. And that's become, that was like the the mi- missing piece of the puzzle for me. Mm-hmm. And I see that traditionally Ayurveda, that was included mm-hmm. in Ayurveda. I think a huge part of it. And and my, they wouldn't have called it that, but that's what it e- was. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And working with the subtle energy body and the chakras and the, the nadis. And this is all part of the Ayurvedic system. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I studied some some other modalities outside of Ayurveda that felt really aligned and supportive for my healing. And now that I offer to the people that yeah. I work with. So I assume that it was a gradual process to return to your own physical, psycho-emotional balance. It was a gradual process. I wish it wasn't. Like, I really wish I had a magic pill or I could offer that to people. Uh, Ayurveda is the art and science of delayed gratification. (laughs) (laughs) It's about choosing things today that will benefit us tomorrow, next week, next month, next year. Mm. Well, we don't get out of balance suddenly. So we don't get back into balance suddenly either. Well, this is actually exactly. where I'm, I'm, I'm curious to ask this question and feel free to respond however feels um, appropriate or, or safe or good for you. Um, and by the way, I should say to our listeners, I apologize. Somebody is doing some construction work or something nearby. Right, ab- right above I'm, us. I'm about driven nuts by all of the banging, but unfortunately, that's just happening right now. <laughs> that's what's going on. It's not us Hopefully in Hopefully, we're the interesting enough that that just <laughs> fades into the background. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so here's my question is, out the other side of this and looking back, I'm curious, what do you think was the root of what happened to you? If I could sum it up in... In a sound bite, because that's what we like to do these days. Uh, some deep beliefs and energetic patterns related to not being enough, not being good enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I call it not enough-itis. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it, it's and a disease of our times. It's the disease of our times. And so, therefore, it's, the, the, it's a challenge for the whole planet. Um, and we've created it together, and I think that we'll find our way out of it together. Yes. And I think it's, you know, we got into it gradually. I think we'll get out of it gradually. Um, and we're all of us working away, nibbling away at our own corner of it. And when we can come together and talk like we're talking today, I think it opens doors for us. Because uh, I really know virtually nothing about um, the Ayurvedic principles but as you're describing it it's like it tugs at some ancient part of me mm-hmm. that and i and i find that with yoga postures as well that to me it, and everybody has their own unique yoga practice um m- mine is very much about the n- n- sort of n- non-postural part of yoga it's the it's how yoga is part of our everyday lives. Um, it's a it's a way of looking at the world, and I and I have I often bleed through into other lifetimes, picking up other lifetimes. I know I've lived other lifetimes where I have lived this, um, and I don't even I wouldn't even I don't think in those lifetimes I would have called myself a yogi. I think I just did it. I did it. I I talked it, I advised it, I, it was just part of my living and breathing. So when I get around people who are doing it, it's like it excites those 
the memory in my cells of that aspect of myself. And I think as I get older, I get, I come more to this, mm. but with less judgment. It's not, um, it's not lining myself up on a little piece of rubber mat and, and doing the postures that somebody else says I should do. It's that being able to feel into myself and know what's right for me and what's right today and what's right half an hour from now and that allowingness of the whole thing um, is fascinating. And you, you've been doing some Facebook Live pieces and I'm I'm trying to figure out how to do all of that. But I but I remember you did one on you were you were sitting in the departure lounge in the airport. And you were you were explaining to people how you use your Ayurvedic principles to prepare for a trip. Yeah. And I thought, wow, this is this is so useful. Right? This is we're that this is taking the principles and making them um, practicable, if that's even a word. Yeah, and Ayurveda is so practical and applicable and essential, even though it's thousands of years old. I feel that we need it even more today because our nervous yes. systems are so dysregulated. Mm -hmm. And Ayurveda provides us with the, the wisdom to regulate our nervous system and to come back into greater alignment. To, yeah, to calm ourselves, to energize ourselves. If that's, it's, it's that balance, right? It's the balance piece yeah. that when, we're figuring out. Um, when I lived in Sri Lanka, it's called Ayurvedic medicine there as well. And I would encounter it here and there, usually from my um the people around me or uh, my colleagues who were who were locals of course and or people who were working with me in my home and so if i or my children got sick there was instantly you know this this is good for medicine or here's an ayurvedic um intervention or other people would be telling me things that they had been doing and i I, I appreciated what you were saying earlier about um, the connection to indigenous um, knowledge and practices that have such deep roots. And that was what I was sensing even there was this was my mm -hmm. first experience of encountering something because I grew up in the West and encountering something that was not just the doctor in the clinic. Yes, and um, because of course we would we would hear we will hear things old wives tales or old wives remedies we would hear people pass these things on things like don't drink milk if you have a cold because mucus or whatever you know things like this and most of the time these things were mentioned and then scoffed about rather than there being anything yeah. of value or, or use there and yet showing up in a country where it was turning everything in my world inside out, all of my paradigms of the world inside out, and then being present with people who had deep respect with another form of medicine that was not the same as what the doctor was going to give me when I go to the clinic. There were two different doctors, two different areas of, of operate, operating, but both had a lot of respect within the community and just kind of operated in different spheres. Um, and not necessarily a lot of respect between the two of them. I also found too, and that was just within my the dream culture. is that eventually they'll all work together. I would love to see that, that too. The the practical interventions of Western medicine of being able to replace a heart valve and and give somebody a titanium knee are going to integrate with all of the things that we can put around that to help the person get better or help them to cope until that can happen and like I, I would love them to work hand in hand. Yeah, and, and I see that that is essential moving forward. And Ayurveda works really well. It's 
strength is prevention. Mm. And, and, you know, Western medicine has its strengths. There's nothing in Ayurveda that we exclude. And that's what I love about it. It's a very inclusive medicine. It's not mm-hmm. saying, oh, if you do Ayurveda, you shouldn't take your medications. Or No, not no. at all. It's mm-hmm. saying, let's look at who you are. Let's look at your whole life physically, mentally, emotionally, energetically. What's going on and how can you be more supported through the wisdom of Ayurveda? How can you return back to your true nature, your true state of being? Yeah. It feels like it's time for us to play one of your songs. And I'm feeling most drawn drawn to the George Harrison song first. Does that feel good for you? Feels good. Okay. Uh, which is the s- title of the second song. But we're going to go to the George Harrison <laughs> song first. So <laughs> and he so was affected by India also. Oh, yeah. Profoundly. So Would you like to tell us before we listen to it or after we listen to it why you chose this song? I'll tell you now. Uh, I just love... I love this rendition of... George Harrison bringing in, you can feel his influence of, of India, of Hare Krishna, and of his, I feel the purity of his heart in swinging to singing about my sweet Lord. And I just love, there's like the punchiness of the pop song, and then mm. there's the heart of, mm. of what I've also experienced in India. And I just, I love this tune. All right, let's have a listen, mm-hmm. and we will rejoin Melanie Phillips in the studio in just a few minutes.
This is CJSF 90.1 FM Burnaby, Campus Community Radio from Simon Fraser University. We respectfully acknowledge that we broadcast on unceded ancestral territory of the Coast Salish peoples, the Squamish, the Musqueam, and the Tsleil-Waututh. Welcome back to Essential Conversations. I'm your host, Rebecca, with my co-host, Luca, and we are here with Melanie Phillips today, and we just listened to her first song request of the day, which is George Harrison's My Sweet Lord, and we got a little groovy, so I took a little video, and I posted it up on Twitter. Ah. If you want to see it, you need to come and find us at Essential Conversations, which is at it's, oh, sorry, it's spelled, uh, because of course, limited number of characters, Essential Conv, and it's spelled Essence, T-I-A-L-C-O-N-V, and we tweet out from there every week for all of our guests, uh, things that they're referring to, their contact info so that you can follow along, and a link to the song is there, and the tweet of some dancing is there. So anyways, Friday we afternoon were... <laughs> dance, da- dancing in the studio, After which got we do on we occasion. Do. Absolutely, it's always worth it. So... Um, Melanie, what what does life look like right now? What are you creating in your life these days? I'm well, taxes, one thing. Because <laughs> <laughs> we're self employed, we're all doing taxes right now. Uh, but yeah. on maybe a more uh, a feel better level, I'm working on. My second book right now that's going to be published shortly. And I'm also focusing on my one-on-one clients, serving people. Uh, and I'm also focusing on gratitude in my own life, just that being as being a practice of gratitude and appreciation. Sort of a flavor. It's a flavor right now. Mm. Yeah. Uh, we, I was just talking about that in, in the car on the way up here. I'm doing gratitude posts on Facebook every day, 60 Days of Gratitude. And I'm noticing how it's changing how I look at the world. It, every time I do it, it always does, right? It's, a, it's, a, like, a, it's like a framework for looking at my day yeah. that shifts into appreciation because I'm looking for things to be grateful about. Yes, cultivating that and seeking yeah. those out. And that's what I'll coach my clients through. Of like, We can't mm-hmm. just wait for something that's like pizzazz. I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, I can be appreciative and gra- grateful for that. But, I mean, I, I trip out having a shower because I'm, I'm in love with like hot water coming through <laughs> the tap. Yep. And I pick up a stalk of broccoli and am in awe of the, the way that the universe has created this beautiful, vibrant, green food that I can eat and mm. Every little thing, it's like very childlike, I suppose, in that way of wonder. And I'm I'm trying to stay in that place of amusement and bewilderment and connection of presence, really. And awe. And awe, and to really just see things as they are, not, oh, yeah, I've seen broccoli a million times before. I've had a shower every day for how long? That this is a miracle. And... You know, I, I look at my body every day and practice like body gratitude appreciation of wow, like thank you bones, thank you skin, thank you eyes and heart and hair and all of it. And the amazing way it all works together. Like I am, I am literally in awe of how the system of the body works. Trillions of functions happening every yeah. millisecond that I can walk upright. And, and we don't even think about close it. Close my eyes and go to sleep and turn things off. 
but that something still functions to keep me alive until morning. Yeah. And that's the yeah. that's where for me the connection of gratitude is to that essence of what is that that keeps me alive until morning without me consciously having to yeah. keep everything going. That to me is miraculous and mysterious and beautiful and and worth connecting into every day. Yeah, so important. The the you, you you mentioned this is you're working on your second book now. Um, how long has it been since your first book? And um, maybe you can share with everybody what the first book was is because it's still available. Right? Absolutely, the first book uh, I co-authored with Glynis Osher, a colleague of mine, in the fall of 2013, and it's called Your Irresistible Life: Four Seasons of Self Care Through Ayurveda and Yoga Practices That Work. So that's mouthful. what we've just been talking yes, about. Yes, about so yoga and Ayurveda. It's all in one place. It's a book that guides you through the seasons in a very accessible, practical way. Uh, we've got recipes in there, yoga practices, meditations, all according to the season and guiding you to the specific meditations and uh, even be- DIY beauty products, all of these things from one season to the next. So that... That book like daily practices, right? Daily practices mm-hmm. and, and starting to pay more attention to the external nature and how that is affecting your internal nature. So it's a, it's a how-to book in a way that keeps on giving for a whole year. And I, I always think that things that are done over time like that, you get even more out of them when you do them the second year and the third year because it l- allows us to refine our attention Yes, and, and Ayurveda is something, it's really infinite in it and vast in its, uh, in our experience and understanding of it. We will, it'll never get old. Yeah. I mean, it's old, but it'll, it will never yeah. get old in how we experience it. And yeah. the, the more we practice, the deeper it goes. Mm. So it can be something as simple as, you know, have your largest meal midday or have warm water first thing in the morning before you have coffee or anything else. These simple practices that can really start to shift our world yeah so and that was the very first. thoughtfully done because i remember you and glennis both saying that you you had to do it for a whole year mindfully right and in we order also to write about it and right? we journaled so yes. it's, it's there's a personal piece of that book where we journaled of our experience living these self-care practices because it's not always easy life happens and we're in old patterns and habits so we share with that really openly and vulnerably about Okay, this is how it's been for us. Could you tell us some examples maybe that might apply to this uh, time, this season or season transition that we're in right now? Would that be something you could do? Sure. So we're in spring, which is the kapha season. Kapha is where the elements of earth and water are predominant. So if you think of the qualities of mixing earth and water together in a bucket, what do you get? Mud. Mud, right? (laughs) So it's like cool, slow, heavy, um, damp, smooth. These are the qualities at this time of year that are affecting all of us. And for someone that has more of that kapha in their constitution, uh, originally it's going to feel even greater, maybe even heavier, harder to get out of bed in the morning. But for all of us, we can look to uh, seasonal foods, especially bitter greens, uh, dandelion, spinach, beet, Tops, all the of first the things that come greens. up at this time of year. Exactly. Right? And these are going to help to cleanse the liver and, and cleanse our system naturally. And that's exactly what we're supposed to be doing after the heaviness of winter mm. and lightening up a little bit. So we need to 
uh, lighten up our diets. We need to lighten up our homes, like spring clean, clear out your closets. Uh, we need to be more dynamic in our exercise. So getting up, the best time of day is to exercise before 10 a.m. So first thing in the morning, if you can get up and do something a little bit more vig vigorous, whether that's yogic sun salutations or going for a brisk walk or a jog, you don't have to be extreme in these things, but just to get the lymphatic system flowing, get the circulation flowing, get all these things moving. Cool. Thank you. You're welcome. That's some neat practical ideas. <laughs> yeah. And not hard. No, it's just... I mean, this is life, It's right? life. And it's yeah. understanding, oh, what does this season require? And appreciating ourselves and what we need yes. and what will make us feel better. Exactly. Um, by not going against what's going on around us, but going with it instead. Yes, flowing downstream. Yeah. So if people wanted to buy the book, because it is still available, where would they go to find it? I would recommend going to Amazon and look, just look up your Irresistible Life book, and you'll find it there. Okay, okay. that's good. Now, th that's, so 2013 is when you published it, right? Correct. So you were working on it for a few years before that. Yes. Um, since 2013... Um, you've got now, you're now about to publish another book. Yes. And this book is a very different, has a different theme. It's a different, uh, still reflective of your life, but, but different. Um, so how, how is it different? And, and how has, because I, I know from writing that books work you. <laughs> Uh, and and they are as a, they come as a result of what's going on in your life also, mm -hmm. especially when you're writing about your real life the way you are. Um, so tell t t set the scene for us a little bit about this book. Right. So this this second book that will be out soon is called Living After Loss: A Soulful Guide to Freedom. And this book is divided into three parts. The it's written in different levels. So there's the part of this book that I share with the reader, a lot of my losses throughout my whole life and how they've affected me and shaped me. And then I also share with the reader um, lessons that I've learned through loss. And then the, the last part of the book is a workbook. So filling in questions and journaling and exercises and practical experiential practices for the reader to essentially learn how to reprogram the neural pathways to shift their energetic, physical, mental, emotional state and relationship to grief and loss. So it's offering suggestions and, you know, depending where people are on their journey of grief and loss, some of them may be very useful and some of them may not be right timing for. Yeah. And, and I one of the things I know about grief and loss is that it's it's very broad. We we tend to think of it in terms of uh, l losing a loved one, but but there are so many any kind of ending in our lives um, can can bring up grief and loss, um, and 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 anything that happens to us where we feel like we don't have any control. Um, so this is a big, broad subject. Right, huge, and I imagine that as you're sharing your stories, your uh, what's also coming out is all the different ways that lo grief and loss could be defined. Right, what what they could be, and that's why I shared so many of my different stories. Um, whether it was you know at ten years old, my parents got divorced, and and what to me felt 
more powerful than their divorce was the loss of the dream I had of what our life was going to look like. Mm-hmm. Uh, and other losses, you know, things like death and divorce, we, we understand. But there's, as I spoke about earlier, my loss of my dream also to be dancing through injury and through illness. So a lot of different uh experiences and I call them initiations I've had in my life that have given me the opportunity to face myself in relationship to loss and grief. And then redefine yourself. Yeah. Refine yourself. Yeah. I think that's one of the, the real gifts of loss is that it shakes everything from the tree that is ripe to fall and it doesn't belong there anymore. That it's a real refinement process and a real crystallization process of what is important what is important to me now what is important when i'm left with nothing or or it even seems like it's nothing because i think when we go back in and look at it again what we find is that there's a whole bunch of something in there that we weren't focusing on before absolutely like and we are such great beings yes. really yeah uh, when we start taking a look at all the things to be grateful for, we're like we're am- amazing beings, uh, yeah, with phenomenal. amazing resources. Yeah, yeah. Um, how did the process of writing this book affect you? You know, well, I went a couple of years ago. I went to Bali uh, to write this book, and I ended up getting extremely sick there. <laughs> Can you hear a theme here? Right, <laughs> getting extremely sick in a foreign third world country and I ended up in the hospital I ended wow. up literally not sure like I f- there were moments where I felt am I going to leave here or not uh, and so I had to shelve the book f- for a while because I was sick and, and couldn't do it and I came back to Canada I just thought oh forget like I'm just going to set that aside and then last spring I was woken up at like 4 o'clock in the morning and propelled to write and I'm not mm. I'm not a, a sleeper in or like really late but I'm not a like 4 a.m. Right? Yeah. yeah so I, w- I felt like I was literally being woken like blurry eyed still got like sleepy eyes and up at my computer just writing and so it felt like it came to me and through me um and then the editing process was more of the grind, but the actual writing of it was felt more inspired in that sense. And it was time. It was ripe. Yeah. It, it does wake you up when it's ripe. Yeah, it's it does. Just, it, it, won't, it won't be laid aside anymore. It's like, no, now is the time. It's the same crystallization. It's the same refinement, right? Yeah, you can't force it. No, it's just uh, and ready. if you try, Ding. yep. And you can't <laughs> know exactly when that inspiration or that time will come either. I even think about the editing processes, because I'm grappling with the editing process right now, that that I have the feeling that if I could instruct myself, if I could guide myself, I'd guide myself into looking at how how is the editing process part of this as well? What does it bring to us that's valuable, that that is not just the drudge that it often feels like it is, um, like, what's your least favorite season? Well, the, uh, for many writers, their least favorite part of writing is having to go back in and edit it. Like, it doesn't feel like it's all creative and shiny and lovely anymore. Now it's like, oh, God, how many times, how many more times do I have to look at this page? But but it is part of that refinement process, just like we're refining ourselves when we go through the grief and loss process and have to pick ourselves up and reinvent ourselves again. It's that um, 
it's 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 almost sharpening that book so that when it goes out there, it is its shiny best. Um, I don't, and I'm. I, I mean, I'm being half baked with this because I'm in the throes of it, and I'm trying to find my way through it. But I just, I always, when I'm working with my clients, I'm always thinking, you know, there's always something right about the thing that it that we're grappling with at any given time, and there's a there's a, an, an inventive process around finding what that is. Yes. Uh, and I, you know, I, I invite anybody who's out there, any of you listening who have maybe found what that is, that, that you can inspire us with the editing process and what great gifts it's given to you, because um, it's, a, it's a tough process to go through. Well, I get that image of uh, that saying about the sculptor when they go in to, you know, sculpt the, the rock, the it's already there. You're just taking away, taking what, away isn't what isn't necessary, no. taking mm-hmm. away what is superfluous, taking away what is not required anymore. Yeah. Michelangelo yeah. is that talked okay? About that right? Yeah. And it's so you're left with the essence, David. Yeah, you're left with the essence. I feel like it's time for our other song, right? Yeah, <laughs> nice. exactly. Kind of the emerging out the other side. Mm-hmm. Once that refinement has come through and there's some new clarity and speed uh, peace and space so your second song is nina simone's feeling good would you like to tell us why you chose this song before or after well i feel like my the book that i've been working on living after loss and uh the challenges that i've been through i feel like there's hope for all of us um if we want there to be if we want to see a way out that there is and I feel like I'm in choice around feeling good. I'm in choice around Mm. living my life. I'm in choice around bringing that energy of deep gratitude no matter what I've been through. And that to me is sort of epitomized in this Cool, all right, let's take a listen and we will rejoin Melanie Phillips in the studio in just a few minutes. Birds flying high, you know how I feel Sun in the sky, you know how I feel Breeze drifting on by, you know how I feel It's a new dawn, it's a new day It's a new life for me, yeah It's a new dawn, it's a new day New life for me. Ooh, 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 ooh. And I'm feeling good. Fish in the sea, you know how I feel. River running free. fly out in the sun you know what I mean don't you know butterflies all having fun you know what I mean 
sleep in peace when day is done that's what i mean and this old world is a new world and a bold world for me You're listening to CJSF Radio 90.1 FM, broadcasting from unceded Coast Salish territory in Burnaby, BC. At the top of the hour, we will be um, listening to Snuff. In the meantime, you are listening to Essential Conversations with Rebecca and Luca, and our guest today, which is Mel- Melanie Phillips. And we were just listening to Nina Simone. Oh, feeling good, and we were. <laughs> we are <laughs> giving us the groove, and. Um, Boy, there really is a feeling kind of the other s- out the other side of a storm when everything has been shaken, everything has been washed clean. It can be devastating, but there's also something when the sun shines through again that is very powerful. And that's where that feeling, it's, it's sort of a reconnection with I'm alive and I'm here. Mm-hmm. And what would I like to do with this now? Yeah. <laughs> Who am I now, and what am I doing now? And yeah, yeah, it really opens space for that. Mm-hmm. It was it was interesting on on the break. They're listening to Nina Simone, feeling good, somewhat surreal. We're sitting in at the SFU uh, radio station here, and and part of what inspired me to write this book on grief and loss was the sudden suicide of my partner. And my partner used to work at this radio station. Oh wow! Oh wow! So it was so just this has come—it's come full circle. Wow! And we didn't even know that. And I didn't. Yeah. I didn't really mm. even think of it until I'm sitting here with you. Wow! And wow. listening to that beautiful song. So he has sat right wow. here in this same studio. Yeah. Maybe he's with us. I think so. Maybe he's with us in the like floating in the ethers right now. Hello. You you mentioned to us earlier that there's some things that are coming up that you're going to be leading, mm-hmm. and I feel like it even hooks into this. Would mm-hmm. you like to tell everybody what those things are? Yeah. So I've got, as we were talking about, the book that will be coming out shortly, and it feels so personal and so vulnerable. And so, so my intention and my hope with it, it is that it's useful for people in their lives that mm-hmm. have gone through any kind of loss. And let's be honest, we're all mm-hmm. going to lose something. Yeah. And to guide people into a way that they can reclaim their life, Mm -hmm. that they can, you know, I love my life now. Mm -hmm. It's not perfect. There's things Mm -hmm. I wish were different for sure. But I wake up grateful. I go to bed grateful. And 
bless you. And I, <laughs> I also can feel what I feel, and I can sit here in a moment and and feel grief. Yeah, knowing that there's loss there, yeah. and so much beauty and, and be space. able to express it, right? And not feel like it's something that needs to be hidden or disowned or that it's all part of the wholeness of who you are. And I feel that's part of my dharma is to be here and in through the sharing of my experience, mm-hmm. hopefully allow others. I, I have clients that I work with who have said, you know, I have this this one beautiful woman whose father killed himself when she was six and has never been able to talk about it. So much stigma and so much um, taboo mm-hmm. and shame and mm-hmm. it's affected their family so deeply. And that we need to be able to communicate about grief, understand it, and move that energy mm-hmm. so that it doesn't uh, take our life from us because it can. Mm-hmm. It's very powerful. Yeah. So yeah. what I what I offer the world now, uh, I, I think I serve from a much deeper place because of my life experiences. Uh, I work with yoga teachers and I teach them about Ayurveda so coming up is an 85 hour Ayurvedic yoga teacher training I have Mm -hmm. I also lead retreats and workshops again coming up in May Mm -hmm. 4th to 6th of 2018 is self-care retreat on Salt Spring Island British Columbia Mm -hmm. and I'm going to be offering a Guatemala retreat in November and I work with people one on one who really are ready to move out of any old energies, any stagnant energies, any aspect of themselves that is no longer serving them, whether it's physical, mental, emotional, energetic, and they, I mean, they work together. <laughs> They're all connected. Uh, and I, I do that work internationally with people online and also in Vancouver. And people can find me at madurimethod.com. It's madurimethod.com is M-A-D-H-U-R-I-M-E-T-H-O-D.com. Perfect. I sent a link out uh, on Twitter as well. So anybody who's following us there can find the link. I sent a link to your website, but also to your events page so that they can hook into you there. Wow, you're on it. Yeah, Oh, yeah, I'm on it. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us today. It's been my absolute pleasure to be with you ladies. Thank you both. Namaste. (laughs) Namaste. (laughs) Luca, is anything coming up for you soon that you'd like to tell everybody about? Um, Well, I'm about to head off to Scotland. So if anybody is listening from Scotland... Um, I'll be in the Highlands um, near the uh, <laughs> intentional spiritual community of Fintorn. Um, so if you know anybody who's there, I would love to chat with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the meantime, I will have lots of interesting stuff when I come back. But um, right now I'm preparing to head out. And I wonder what's around the corner. Essential Conversations is brought to you courtesy of Luca Halleck's Power Sorcerer. And Rebecca Mears, Certified Coach. Increase your awareness, expand your options, empower yourself. Luca can be reached at www.lucahallux.com. I light the fires that light a thousand more. Connect with Rebecca at catchingfire.ca.